And we're in a four-week series uh, that we just started last week on lament. Um, I'll be in the book of Habakkuk again. Before I get into the uh, sermon itself, let me just say a few things. First of all, let, let me say this. I hope you know this. I don't like lament. Can anybody say amen? I, I don't like lament. Um, I, I don't want to lament. And historically, I have not been very good at lament. Um, it, it's just not something that comes naturally to me. Now, what the Leander showed, complaining, oh, yeah, I can be pretty good at that. Uh, moaning about things, getting angry, I, I can do that. But real lament, coming before God in lament is something that has not come naturally to me at all. Um, but let me also say this, that the difficulties, the hardships of my life have pressed me into God in such a way that I have learned that there is no such thing as a life that's deeply rooted in Jesus Christ that has not learned the way of lament. Lament is indispensable to a growing believer. It's as indispensable as prayer or as reading the scriptures. Lament actually forces us into relationship to God to deal with the truth, not in a way of propositions or theories, but in a way of honesty that expands our souls. And so last week we began to look at Habakkuk. I call him Habby sometimes. Don't mind me if I go back and forth, but we looked at Habakkuk and we looked at his first complaint in chapter one, uh, verses two through four, where he complains to God. Um, and we see that he's struggling with the injustice that's going on among the people of God. And then we saw God's response in verses five through 11, where the Lord lets Habakkuk know, I hear you. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But he also lets him know, you're not going to like my answer. It, it, it might even be worse than the first condition. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to like it. And so we see that this is going on. Now, today we're going to look, beginning in verse 12, at Habakkuk's second complaint. But I want you to know this. Before the Lord's answer that ends in verse 11 of chapter 1, and the beginning of verse 12, there's time that takes place. It doesn't happen immediately. It's not like the Lord answers and then Habakkuk goes back in because what's happening by the time Habakkuk answers and begins his second complaint, what's happening is the invasion of the Babylonians has already started. And so there is, we don't know how much time, but there's some time before his first complaint and the Lord's reply and then his second complaint. And indeed, as this invasion begins, Habakkuk sees that it's worse than he could have ever imagined. So I want you to get, and today we're talking about the anatomy of lament, I want you to get my main idea for today. And, and that is this. 
Lament is a process. Somebody say process. Okay, I hear you, masks and all. Lament is a process that includes crying out to God. Sometimes we say that's lament, but it's more than that. It includes crying out to God. It includes listening to and hearing from God. And then it also includes responding back to God. So that's what we'll be looking at today. So let's stand together and we want to read the scripture today from Habakkuk. And we're just going to read a few verses. We'll read chapter one, uh, verses 12 and 13, and then we'll go down to two, uh, chapter two, verse one, and then we'll pick up another couple verses in chapter two. So first of all, this is Habakkuk's second complaint, chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Scripture says, let's read together. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And now chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the end of his complaint. I will stand at my watch. And station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And now let's look at the beginning of the Lord's response. That is verses two and three of chapter two. Let's read. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, as we come before you to learn from you, from your word, about what it means to lament. I pray that you would speak to your people, those here, those at home, wherever people are watching this. And Lord, you would help us to expand our souls as we come before you in this way. Lord, bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The anatomy of Lament. What, what I need you to understand as we're getting into, uh, this sermon today is that lament is actually a conversation. It's not just a one-sided rant, but it's a rant where we're actually engaging the Lord and looking for an answer. The end of lament is not when I've finished my rant. Lament is not concluded until the conversation is fully engaged from 
both sides. And so lament isn't a quick thing. It takes time. In other words, lament is more than just writing out a hard poem. It's more than a really ugly journal entry. Some of y'all who do journals, you know what I'm talking about. That ugly stuff that you write down. It's more than just that. It's more than just screaming out in prayer and pain to God. It's more than that. Lament also involves waiting in process to hear back from the Lord and then ultimately responding to him after you process his reply. So there are three movements to lament. And today we're going to look at the first two movements in Habakkuk, starting in chapter one and verse 12. So the first movement is the idea of engaging the lament. It is the lamentor, the one who is in pain, the one who is struggling with God, beginning to cry out to him. And so we see this uh, part of the lament that uh, Habakkuk lays out. And I, I want to, to look at this. I'm going to kind of pull it apart a little bit. And we'll see in this engagement of lament, in this one, there are at least four parts to it. Four parts to engaging this lament. The first one I call confused affirmations. So you'll see even in the Psalms, in most lament Psalms, they start with something that is is affirming the reality of the goodness and the power and the greatness of God. But sometimes this is a confused affirmation. I think that's what's going on in this verse as well. Look at his words. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. So he starts out by affirming that God is everlasting. You see, in the first two lines of this Hebrew poem, uh, they build on one another. The first part says, you're not, are you not from everlasting? And then it says, you'll never die. The second two lines also build on one another. This is called parallelism in Hebrew poetry, where the second line builds on the first. And you see in both of these, he starts out in line one and line three by calling God by his covenant name. You are Yahweh. You are Lord. You are Adonai. You are our covenant keeping God. But then he makes it personal in lines two and four. He says, my God, my holy one, my rock in line four. And so you see this beautiful poetic phrase. And yet you can see the struggle of the prophet as he pens these words and cries out to God. I actually love the way that the message puts it because when, 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 when I looked at these words, I, I could almost hear them not just as an affirmation, but as a question. In the message translation, it puts it this way. God, you're from eternity, aren't you? Holy God, we aren't going to die, are we? And then he says, God, you chose the Babylonians for your judgment work? Rock solid God, you gave them the job of discipline? Can you hear? He's struggling here. 
The prophet is struggling because this invasion has begun and it's ugly. They're building ramparts. They are starving the people of God. You can't get any food into Jerusalem. The city is surrounded by the enemy. You can't go out. You can't come in. They built siege works on the walls of the city and death is imminent. And he's saying, have you really chose these Babylonians? These evil People who just run over nations. They don't care about anything. Their God is their stomach. They are all impressed with themselves. And yet you chose them. The last word in verse 12, punish, in in our English translation. It's an interesting word. We think of punishment in different ways. But this actually comes kind of from the idea of, of justice and judgment, right judgment. It speaks of establishing what is just and right. In other words, when it's talking about punishment, it's talking about a redemptive act. I know it was hard to believe when you were a kid and your parents said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Not really, but it's hard to believe it. But if you're a parent, you might get that, right? You might get that because you don't want to see your child hurting, but you know that they have to have some kind of consequence that may hurt them. My God, my God, take away that cell phone from a teenager. If you want to see pain, you'll see it right there. But he says, my, you, my rock, have ordained them to punishment? How can a redemptive act come out of these wicked people? So the first part of this Movement of engaging lament is this idea of a confused affirmation. Then he goes on in uh, verse 13. And the second part of this is asking honest questions. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we've got to ask God some questions sometimes. Somebody ought to say amen right now. The middle of that verse He asks two questions. He says, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? It just ain't right, God. I don't understand it. There's nothing right about it. And if you go back in Habakkuk in chapter 1, his first lament in verse 3, he also puts out those questions. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? There is this questioning of God. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. It's not making any sense to me. It doesn't fit with what I know about you. And and, and here's an issue that I have. What we have often done in the evangelical church in America is that we have made this idea of questioning God in this way as something that we would say, if someone does that, they must not be a very strong believer. That they must be kind of weak in their faith. Maybe we can up their game. Maybe a little bit more Bible study. Maybe a little bit more prayer. Maybe they need to be in service more. Because if they really knew God, if they really had a relationship with God, they wouldn't be asking those kind of questions. But here's what I want to say to you. If you do not struggle with God, 
in such a way that it makes you question him at times, then you're probably just living in a fantasy land of carefully protected privilege and not actually waging war against spiritual forces of wickedness and struggle and in your struggle for faith. Listen, this is a hard fight of faith. Somebody ought to say amen right now. This world, uh, uh, Martin Luther penned uh, one of his hymns and said, this world with devils filled will threaten to undo us. And it does. All around us, we see the work of the enemy. Let's face it, we see that work right in us too. Amen? We see the enemy all around us. We see him honing in on us. We see his clutches at work and we ask sometimes, God, where are you? What's going on? And if you think that's just for weak believers, then you better think again because you got to think about the characters in our Bibles. Abraham struggled with God. He said, God, what are you doing? Moses didn't make it to the promised land because he was mad at God. David laments over and over again and asks question after question to God. Jeremiah and the other prophets cry out to God. In the New Testament, Paul cries out to God. It says, this is hard. Peter rejects Jesus for a moment, for a while, and even Jesus Christ himself. On the cross, he cries out from the words of Psalm 22. So this asking honest questions is something that growing believers do. Let's leave room for that in our discipleship. Amen. Let me look at a third issue here, a third piece of what it means to engage lament. And that is reflecting on real pain. Let's get honest with God. Let's get real about what's going on in our lives. And you see that through the rest of this lament, but I'm just going to read a couple verses of it. Habakkuk says, you have made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in their net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. He's looking at what is going on as the Babylonians are beginning to exact a toll, a heavy toll of suffering and of death on the people of God. And he says, it's like people are just fish. And they are these ruthless fishermen that just pull them up and just use them for whatever they want. And they pull them up and rejoice and they're glad. And he goes on more in this lament. I ask that you would read through it this week. I'm not going to read it all, but it's tough. We, we read the same kind of thing in, in, in Paul. He talks about in Second Corinthians, he says, we're hard pressed on every side but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You have this idea of God hemming them in. Have you ever heard this saying? God won't give you more than you can handle. Has anyone ever heard that? Oh, goodness gracious. 
And most of us think it's a Bible verse. It ain't. <laughs> I know a Bible verse that people get it from. I do know that. But it's not a Bible verse. And I would actually say it's, it's, it's actually the opposite of what the scripture teaches. The truth is God will absolutely often give you more than you can handle. And if you've lived a little while, you know what I'm talking about. However, along with giving you that, he also will give you, we're going to get to it, a revelation of himself that will enable you to handle what you otherwise can't handle because the one who can handle it is going to give you the handles to handle it. Amen. God will give you what you need in time. And that's what's going on here with Habakkuk. He's literally overwhelmed by what's happening. It's much more than he can take. It's off the charts. It's so far off the charts that when he looks back, he can't even see the charts anymore. You know what I'm talking about right now. Somebody here or somebody watching this is probably going through a time like this right now. This isn't theory for you at all. This isn't what happened a year ago or 10 years ago or what might happen. This is where you're at right now. You're living in the reality of being overwhelmed. You're drowning with no life preserver and nothing and no one else. There's nothing to hold on to. But this, brothers and sisters, is where lament comes in. Here's what I want you to see. Lament is the God-designed life preserver that does not allow you to be saved without first going to the place of raw and real honesty that reveals all the ugly mess that's in your soul. See, God has designed this thing so that when you come to him in that place of your greatest need, and as you drown even in your own tears, he meets you right there. He meets you in that place, in that vulnerable place where you can actually know him as savior and not be tempted to think that you saved yourself. You see, we got some good theology. We know that salvation is by grace, not by works. But if, if we be honest, many times when we are on the other side of the trial, when we're on the other side of the difficulty, when we're, we're not now being hard pressed, we look back on that and we say, wow, I sure did a good job going through that. Look how I navigated that. My goodness, I had some wisdom right on time. Check me out. We can easily think that. We have this mindset in our country of picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. I call that the great American lie. Y'all didn't pick yourself up by no bootstraps. God has been there and is there to pick us up when there's nothing and no one else. Brothers and sisters, when we truly lament God, now this is hard, but God is gifting us with a depth of sorrow that brings us to a point that's beyond human redemption. It's beyond human redemption. Lament leaves us in that situation where there's absolutely no hope without the intervention of almighty God. That's where Habakkuk was. That's what he is 
putting out on these pages. And that's the place where God will lead you and I at times in our Christian life. Well, I don't want to leave anybody hopeless today because I want to look at the last part of his engaging lament. And at the end of engaging lament, the fourth piece of this is a posture of dependence. We see that in chapter 2, verse 1. Look what he says. This is the end of his lament. I will stand at watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look and see what he will say to me and what answers I am to give to this complaint. See, Habakkuk, as he's laid it all out before God, he didn't hold back. He didn't make it look pretty. But when he holds it all out and he gets it all out to God, now he says, now I'm going to wait and see. Now I'm going to look and I'm going to listen and I'm going to wait and see what God might say. I'm going to stand watch and listen for God. Here's what I want you to see. Crying out in lament is not just a cathartic exercise. It's not saying, I'm so glad I got that off my chest. But it's more than that, much more. Lament is an act of believing that prepares the suffering person to actually hear from God. See, a lot of times I think our hearing from God is not really all that we think it is. We think we've heard from God when we can put together some logical syllogisms that talk about the characteristics of the divine. We think that we've learned God and we, we know him and we've heard from him when we can memorize some scriptures. Listen, all those things are good, but they will never substitute for getting it in your soul from hearing from God as you cry out in lament and you're struggling with God and he speaks to you in that time, in that moment. That's something no one can take away from you. The devil can't take it away from you because you've learned about God in the midst of that trial. So that is what it means to engage God in lament. That's the first movement. But the second movement is this hearing from God, hearing from God. And God starts out with hope. Amen. I love that. God starts out his message with hope. I know, I know for me, whenever I do counseling sessions with people that are in deep despair and struggle, I have one goal at the beginning of counseling, and that is that they would come out with just some even tiny glimmer of hope. If that doesn't happen, then it doesn't matter what else happens in that session. They need to come out with hope. And listen, y'all, God is a way better counselor than I'll ever be. He starts out to the lamenter, to the one who is struggling and hurting, and he starts out and gives a message of hope. Look at verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits the appointed time. It speaks to the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. You see, God's response to Habakkuk laying out his complaint before him is a revelation. 
That is an unveiling of God. That is God giving him a vision. God allowing him to see what he's going to do. God gives him a vision of himself. And that is what God does. And he he gives this to give hope to him. Listen, I wonder for all of us how often when God ministers to us in times of our very deepest need, does he want to use that revelation of himself not just to bless us, but to bless others as well? Amen. So you look at these words to Habakkuk. He says, write it down. Make it plain. Some other folk need to hear what's going on here so that the herald may run with it. What God is saying is, I'm going to give you something, Habakkuk, that's going to help you through, but don't hoard it for yourself. Some other folk need to hear this as well. They need to understand what I'm about to reveal to you, what I'm about to say to you. So I just see that time after time in my own life, God wants to use the hard things I've been through and those struggles, not just for me, but for somebody else as well. I've heard the saying, and maybe you've heard it as well, that it's unlikely that God will ever use anyone greatly that has not first been wounded deeply. Here's what I want you to get here. It's only as you find God in the depths of your woundedness that you're truly prepared to minister to anyone else. I am scared to death of religious folk that aren't aware of their brokenness. Whether it's a counselor, whether it's a preacher, whether it's a leader, whatever it is, I am scared to death of folk who think that they've made it by themselves and by their effort. I want to be real with you right now. I know that to to the degree that God uses me at all to minister or help anyone else, it's mostly due to how he has broken me in my life. Education is good. There's a lot of good, helpful Christian things for discipleship that we ought to do. But if God is going to use you with any Holy Ghost power in the lives of someone else, It comes because you've been broken, broken of self-reliance, broken of pride, broken of arrogance, broken of me thinking that I have something that is worthy for someone else and value for someone else that is apart from the gracious goodness of God, broken of that idea. So I stand before you today as a person who's been broken by God over and over again. And I know that he's not done with me. He's not done breaking me. He's not done getting at areas of my life that he wants to be fully Lord and Savior of those areas. But I also stand before you today as someone who is thankful to God for all of that, hard as it is, 
and who realizes that that breaking has been necessary for God to use me in anyone else's life. God, God calls Habakkuk to wait for the revelation to be fulfilled. He says, wait for it, Habakkuk. It ain't coming right away. You got to linger a little while. This thing's going to linger. He uses that word linger. It, that, that same word is often used in, in the Old Testament when a delay would have a negative consequence. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 60, that he does not delay to obey your word. That great Psalm 119 about the word of God. He says, I don't delay to obey your commandments. God is promising here in these verses that he is not delaying. He is not waiting. He is not lingering in any way that will lead to something bad for his people. What God uh, what, what seems like God's slowness, his lingering, what's taken so long, Lord, is actually working out his ultimate gracious and saving plan, even though the prophet couldn't see it. And that's true in our day. We are now, I don't know how many months in with COVID, eight months plus with COVID. How many people have said, even so, come Lord Jesus. In these last eight months, probably in these last eight minutes with my preaching, I get it. I get it. That's OK. But 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 you, you you said, Lord, come quickly, Lord. Lord, we want you to come. We've all felt that way. We've all cried out that cry. And there's nothing wrong with that cry. But why doesn't he come when we say that? Because God has a purpose that he's working out and he's not going to wrap this thing up until he's done with it. And that is because of his goodness and his mercy and his love. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says the Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Though the vision lingers, though it doesn't come right when you want it to wait for it. It's coming. I promise God says. God ministers hope right away. He ministers hope, instructions for hope. But not only that, secondly, in this response from God, hearing from God, there is a call to faithfulness. You got to get this, y'all. You got to get this. In the middle of his lament, when God is speaking to the prophet, he says these words in uh, verse four, see, the enemy is puffed up. He des his, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Or another translation says, but the righteous will live by faith. And then that gets repeated in Galatians, in Romans, in Hebrews, all over our New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. Now, listen to the context that God speaks this in. It's the context of this prophet and the people of God suffering under a heavy yoke. In the midst of that heavy yoke. God is able to tell them, I need you to live by faith. I need you to live faithfully. Here's what I want you to see. God's response to the struggling believer 
is not to say, okay, I get it. I understand you're struggling. You're really hurting now. So I'm going to set aside a time where you can just be you for a while. You just do your thing. You just wallow in your pity. You just do your thing and you can wild out for a little while and come back to me later on. That's not what God says. That is not what God says. He says the opposite in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of being absolutely overwhelmed. He says to the lamenting one, lean into your faith. Remember God's faithfulness and live a life marked by faithfulness to him. That's the way through the struggle. You're not going to get out of the struggle by something that will make you feel good for a little while. you got to lean into that God that you're not understanding right now and live faithful to him even when you don't feel like it. The psalmist says it this way, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. In the end of the day, it's the faithfulness of God that separates the lamenting believer from the wicked who refuse to honor God. Listen, y'all, it's easy to tiptoe through the tulips of Christianity when things are going well in your life, when things are clicking on all cylinders. But what do you do in the difficult time, in the hard time, in the pressing time? God is calling us to faithfulness because he is the faithful God. The third thing here in God's response is a warning to the wicked. That goes from verse 5 to 13 and then 15 to 19. Uh, and I'll just read a couple verses. But he says in verse 10, you have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. This is what he's saying about the, the Babylonians. The stones of the wall will cry out. The beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city on bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. He is saying that surely I will judge those who oppress you. Surely I will come and I will not delay. I will do what I will do because I am God and I am just and I am good. And so he is comforting comforting the afflicted one in this time by letting him know I'm not going to let you hang out there on your own I will I am a just God I hate injustice and I will judge it in my time the last point here is God speaks I love this is a revelation of the Lord's victory. Verse 14 is right in the middle of God speaking to Habakkuk about the punishment that will come upon the wicked, but right in the middle of that, he takes a praise break. And he says, just remember this, Habby, for the earth will be filled, not might be filled, not should be filled, but it will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I got this. I got this. And at the end of God's response in verse 20, he says, check this out. 
Habakkuk, check this out, you Israelites. The Lord is in his holy temple. They may knock down a building. They may knock down a city. They may burn it and take away his inhabitants. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God says, I got this. So so you notice in this response from God, at the beginning of it, it's filled with hope. At the beginning of his response, he says that the revelation is coming. Make it plain on the tablets. It won't prove false, though it linger, wait for it. In the middle of his response, he says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And at the end of his response, he says, let the earth just shut up for a while. I got this. I am God all by myself and I don't need anyone's help. I want you to hear this, what I'm about to say. It's what you do with God's revelation. Not how difficult your circumstances are. It's what you do with the, with the speech of God as he speaks to you in the midst of that difficulty that will ultimately determine how you succeed in God's eyes. God's victory is not just a theoretical proposition. His purpose has always been to create a people who will glorify him in the earth and enjoy him throughout all eternity. And God will accomplish his purpose. He will not be stopped. Habakkuk could look back, as bad as it was, he could look back and remember how God brought his people through the Red Sea and delivered them from Pharaoh's strong hand. You and I can look back wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, and see the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is coming back again. God's answer to lament is often not the detailed answer that we want. That tells us how and when he's going to do what he's going to do. That's what we want. But his answer is not about what he will do. His answer is about who he is. Who he is. That was the answer that God gave Job. I don't understand it, Lord. You don't have to understand it. Here's who I am. He is the Lord. He is the great I am. He is the glorious one, the all-sufficient one. And brothers and sisters, when you know who he is and that you belong to him, then and only then will you find rest for your souls. I ask this as I close. Do you know what it's like to struggle? I mean to really really struggle with what's happening in your life and to struggle with how God seems to be allowing all of this to go on where are you God do you know what that's like I certainly do 
think most of you do as well. I encourage you, lay that thing before God. Don't worry about pretty words. Don't worry about being politically or even biblically correct, doctrinally right on. Don't worry about that. You need to lay out that ugly thing before God just like it is. Write it down. Speak it out loud. Pray about it. Don't hold back. But please don't stop there because lament is much more than that. It engages God in the conversation. Wait on the Lord. When you throw that out before the Holy God, I promise you this, He will answer you. He will speak back. Our God is a speaking God. That may come through reading His Word and studying the Word of God. That may come as you are practicing silence and solitude and making space in your life that is not just doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but stopping to be with God. That could be for 30 minutes. That could be for a few hours. Maybe that's for a Sabbath. Maybe that's for a retreat personally, getting away. But there's a time of stopping to wait and listen before God. When you do that, the Lord will give you a sustaining word. I'm going to close with the words of the prophet again. Chapter 2, starting at verse 2. He says, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we will grow as a people in really knowing how to be honest with God and even with one another in the community of believers that we wouldn't feel like we have to be shamed or we can't be honest in our life group or in a, or with someone who is working with us in discipleship that we have to kind of put on this Christian facade of having it all together all the time. We don't. So Lord, I pray that we will be a community of broken people and we're at different points at different times, sometimes more questions, way more questions than answers. But I pray, oh God, that in that time, you will meet us with your love. You will show us your character and you will sustain us by your word. Lord, have your way glorify your name in all these things we pray in Jesus name Amen, Amen.